Hello and welcome to Culture Watch, a podcast of Speaking for Him. My name is Andrew Gamison, and it is my privilege each and every week to be your host as we look at news and current events from a Christian perspective. I am so grateful that everyone has been listening. Continue to do so. Continue to share it with your family and friends, and please reach out if there's anything you would like discussed on either this podcast or my main podcast, Speaking for Him, and I would be glad to hear your feedback because I really want to do podcasts that benefit and appeal to the people who are listening. Most of all, I want to encourage them in their Christian life. And we have a full docket today, so let's get started with news for the week of August 28th. Our first news story takes us to the inaugural Republican presidential debate. We need to stop demonizing this issue. This is talking about the fact that unelected justices didn't need to decide something this personal because it's personal for every woman and man. Now it's been put in the hands of the people. That's great. When it comes to a federal ban, let's be honest with the American people and say it will take 60 Senate votes. It will take a majority of the House. So in order to do that, let's find consensus. Can't we all agree that we should ban late-term abortions? Can't we all agree? that we should encourage adoptions? Can't we all agree that doctors and nurses who don't believe in abortion shouldn't have to perform them? Can't we all agree that contraception should be available? And can't we all agree that we are not going to put a woman in jail or give her the death penalty if she gets an abortion? Let's treat this like the like a respectful issue that it is and humanize the situation and stop demonizing the situation. And I've been a champion for life in the Congress, a champion for life as governor and as vice president. And uh, to be honest with you, Nikki, you're my friend, but uh, consensus is the opposite of leadership. When the Supreme Court returned this question to the American people, they didn't just send it to the states only. It's not a states only issue. It's a moral issue. And I promise you, as president of the United States, the American people will have a champion for life in the Oval Office. Can't we have a minimum standard in every state in the nation that says when a baby is capable of feeling pain, an abortion cannot be allowed? A 15-week ban is an idea whose time has come. It's supported by 70% of the American people. When you're talking about a federal ban, be honest with the American people. We haven't had 45 pro-life senators in over 100 years, so no Republican president can ban abortions any more than a Democrat president could ban all those state laws. Don't make women feel like they have to decide on this issue when you know we don't have 60 Senate votes in the House. 70 percent of the American people support legislation but to ban abortion of the after Senate a baby is capable not. of experiencing okay. pain. Okay, as always, there are a couple things that need to be addressed in regards to this clip. First of all, I commend Mike Pence and Nikki Haley for being willing to speak out so ardently about life. I was really excited that the Dobbs decision rescinded Roe versus Wade, which for almost 50 years was erroneously the law of the land. It was bad law because it said that the Supreme Court could take no law and make a law where there was none and supersede any desires of the states to handle the issue at the state level. 
when the Dobbs decision fell, that meant that states were able to go to work to proclaim their own views on this issue. And granted, a lot of states laid the groundwork for this by either enacting a more pro-life legislation or an even less pro-life legislation, such as was the case in New York and California. And the basis upon which the justices rescinded this decision was that they believed that anything not defined by the Constitution should be decided by the states. That was one of their main arguments. So on the surface, when you look at this issue, you could make the case that the states are now allowed to decide the issue, and so we should be happy about that and just push for our state to be one of the more pro-life states. And I am very grateful for the pro-life advancements that have been made because of the rescinding of Roe versus Wade thanks to the Dobbs decision. However, I do agree with Mike Pence that this is something that supersedes states' rights because it's not just a legislative issue, it's a moral issue. Now, one of the reasons that I do this Culture Watch podcast now is because I believe that so many of our legislative issues are moral issues and they need to be spoken out about. So that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is I do agree with Nikki Haley to a degree that we need to find areas of agreement on this issue. However, I also agree with Mike Pence that this is a moral issue and that banning abortion at the federal level could be a good thing. Now, here's the interesting factors that we need to consider. Nikki Haley mentions in this piece that 60 votes are needed in the Senate to put forth any abortion ban federally. That's not entirely true. However, in my research, I found that if you get 60 votes on a legislation, then no filibuster can occur and it becomes uh, passed and ready for the president to sign or veto. Now, the fact of the matter is that our current administration would veto any pro-life legislation, any limits on abortion. And so we would need enough for either a constitutional amendment, which re- which would require two-thirds majority vote to add a sanctity of human life amendment to the Constitution, or we would need a supermajority of votes in the Senate in order to do a Senate override. So in that respect, I think Nikki is right about the 60 votes. But that being said, I believe that a president should be bold enough on this life and death issue to propose a ban on abortion as many times as it takes to get it considered by the legislature. Because this is a life and death moral issue. And I wholeheartedly agree with Mike Pence on this. That being said, I champion any pro-life legislation that limits abortion in any way. There is a group of well-meaning individuals by the name of Abolish Human Abortion. 
And they don't believe that there should be any exceptions in the life issue. And personally, I don't either. But I do believe that any legislation that limits the barbaric practice of abortion should be embraced because you win the battle for life in often little increments. So that is important. It's also important for us to realize that this is a heart issue and we need to win people's hearts even more than we need to get legislation passed. But legislation is a good barometer for where we are as a culture. Now, I want to talk about one more thing in regards to this issue, and that is Mike Pence saying that 70% of Americans believe there should be some limitation on abortion, and I think the phrase he used was that they believe that abortion should be outlawed when it can be proven that an unborn baby feels pain. And that is a great thing to hear. However, one of the problems that we face in this country is you might be one-on-one with someone and say, yeah, I'm pro-life. I would never get an abortion. I would never say that abortion is the best. But then when you're in a group of people, you don't want to be the person who is legislating morality to someone else. So you're much quieter in those instances. You kind of change your tone almost to the point of saying, well, I'm personally pro-life, but I would never tell you that you shouldn't have the right to abortion. And I think that's the change that we need to make in our culture, is a change that says, hey, this is a barbaric practice no matter the limitations, no matter the parameters. It is a wrong practice, and it's wrong because it's morally wrong, and it doesn't matter what group of people I'm standing in, I'm still going to say it's wrong. So all that to say, I think that To have a president who's a champion of life, who is consistently suggesting these bans on abortion is a good thing. Now let me return to the Dobbs decision. I do believe that it was wrong for the Supreme Court to be able to have the power to supersede the states in what they want to do on issues. I've said this about the abortion issue. I've said it about the marriage issue. I think states should be able to make legislations, and if they have state constitutions, they should be able to make a declaration about that. With the marriage issue, we had 32 states say that marriage was between a man and a woman, and one decision uh, made it wrong for those states to hold to those views. However, I do want to point out that a legislation passed by the House and the Senate and signed by the President has more power and should have more power than the Supreme Court. So the issue is not that we couldn't make a legislation supporting abortion in all 50 states and pass it and for it to be legal, but making it legal doesn't make it moral. It would still be wrong morally for me to support it, but it would be through the legislative process. But Roe versus Wade was not the legislative process says Roe versus Wade was judicial fiat. So what I'm saying here is I believe that even though I think the state should have as much power as possible, if we actually go through the legislative process and get the Senate, the House, and the President to sign off on a ban on abortion, I think that is a wonderful thing. And I think that anything that promotes life over death is a great thing. 
A few months ago, we talked about a Democratic congressman who said we need to allow 11 million illegal aliens into our country because we don't have enough people to work the jobs that we have. And I said it this time, and I'll say it again, maybe we wouldn't have that problem if we didn't have a bunch of legislators and other media people and anyone else in the public eye telling us that we should have the right to kill our unborn children. And that as a matter of fact, we should shout our abortions and talk about how great they are and say that men have no voice in this fight, even though a man is required to make a baby. See, unless we address the root problem of this employment shortage, which is a lack of people, and we encourage people to have children, we are not addressing this in a healthy way. One other thing I've never understood is how Democrats seem hell-bent on destroying the very people that could support them in the future. Our next story comes out of Lahaina, Maui, Hawaii. President Biden is back on vacation in Lake Tahoe after visiting Maui yesterday following the deadly wildfires. Some angry residents protesting his visit over accusations the White House isn't doing enough to help. And comments like this from the president being viewed by some as inappropriate. You guys catch the boots out here? Aton Kupnik and Amanda Cassidy both lost homes in the fires, and they both join me now. Uh, good morning to you both. Thank you so much for coming on to talk about uh, this with us. Aton, um, President Biden is vowing to help rebuild Maui. He says for as long as it takes, but as we just saw in that footage, there is some anger with residents uh, in Maui. Uh, some people held signs that said no comment or what took you so long to get here. So how do you view President's Bi- President Biden's visit yesterday? Well, you know, um, I saw them flying, but, you know, the anger is, 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 is normal. You know, um, multi-million dollar photo op. We could have used that money directly to Lahaina to house more of the families for a longer stay because the rebuild of their homes is, isn't going to take uh, three months. You know, it's going to be about at least six to eight months just to clean up the area. You know, and we're still looking for family and friends that are still lost, you know, and and and, and we're going to mourn them. And and it's just a, it's a huge mess right now. So just to see more money being wasted when we could have just used it, he just could have did a FaceTime or a little quick off and, mm. you know, just um, said, said, said his feelings um, over the phone. You know, we didn't need him fly over here. That's for sure. Yeah. Like I said, uh, there's a lot of families displaced. So. That money could have gone elsewhere. There certainly are. And Amanda, I want to play something for you that's getting a lot of attention this morning. Uh, It's a portion of President Biden's speech. And in it, he's talking about a small fire that broke out in his house almost 20 years ago. Thankfully, that fire was contained to only his kitchen. Listen to this. Lightning struck at home on a little lake. It's outside of our home, not a lake, a big pond. Make a long story short, I almost lost my wife my 67 Corvette (laughs) and my cat. Mm. 
comparing that moment to the devastating fires that ravaged your community, what do you think about that moment? I think it was a little bit tone deaf. However, I can't understand how he was trying to meet us somewhere and say, I understand. But unfortunately, that is nothing that compares to what happened to our community, our beautiful little town and the family children that were lost and disabled and the elderly. I mean, a car in your kitchen is kind of just a little sad to hear, you know, I mean, I think people really want to see you show up for us and provide an eighth of what you're giving to Ukraine. It's, it's outrageous. Lahaina is so hurt right now and it was tone deaf. Okay. I just want to say a couple things. First of all, I don't think that it's wrong for a president to go over to a disaster area to offer condolences to the people and to try to get on top of what is going on in a place. I don't think you can really comprehend what is going on somewhere unless you get boots on the ground, preferably your boots, and you say, this is actually what's going on. How can I help these people? So I don't necessarily think it was wrong for Biden to go to Maui, but I definitely feel this guy's pain when he's saying the way they went about it is nothing more than an expensive photo op. And the fact that Biden, before going to Hawaii, says no comment and just goes about his business and only goes after the flack of the media and outcry of civilians, that's a problem. The fact that he has earmarked so much money for Ukraine and only a fraction of that amount of money for Lahaina in Maui, which is part of the United States. It's one of the United States. So it's one of those 50 states that he is supposed to represent. And he is withholding help. So I think, first of all, the delayed reaction is what annoyed people. I also think that while you should try to find connection with people... I think there is a place to just say, you know what, I can't comprehend what you're going through, but I am sorrowing with you and I'm feeling for you in your pain. You don't have to be able to empathize with someone in order to show them pity. And I think it would have been far better for the president to be like, I have no idea what you're going through but I'm here for you. So I think there's a lot of factors at play, and I think people can tell the difference between something that is just a photo op and a president that really wants to roll up his sleeves and care for the people. And this is the issue that is being dealt with here with these Maui wildfires. And the cleanup is going to take longer and a lot more dedicated resources, I think, than a lot of people realize. So my thoughts and prayers continue to be with that area. I hope that it is one day restored to the grandeur that it had before these fires. And I hope that the people that showed irresponsibility throughout this ordeal are brought to bear. This was an electrical problem. 
that needs to be addressed. There was a problem with the emergency response system that needs to be addressed. There was problems with the delay in the way the governor reached out and asked for help. And there was definite problems in the way that the federal government delayed to give aid. You know, it's so amazing to me how the federal government wants their hands in everything, but when they are really needed, when it really would be beneficial for them to act, they seem to not want to act very quickly at all. So I am praying for our leaders to do better. I am praying that the people of Lahaina will get the help that they need, and I'm praying for those who have lost a loved one because over a hundred people are now dead and those families will never get those people back. Homes can be rebuilt. Businesses can be restored, but the people who died cannot be restored. They have died once for all. And that is a reminder to all of us that we don't know when our death is coming and we need to be ready. Uh, The Bible says, It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. We will all face judgment before God. And either we will be able to say that Jesus took our judgment, and so therefore we are righteous before him and we can enjoy heaven, or we will say we did not accept Jesus as our Savior, and he will be our judge and he will condemn us to hell. Those are the only two places we can go. I trust that you will choose heaven if you have not already. Well, our next news story is a little bit bizarre as we talk about the issue of plastic straws. Was it good to replace them with paper? Paper straws that get all mushy in your drink might not actually be as environmentally friendly as you'd think. Scientists over in Belgium say that eco-friendly utensils are just as harmful as the plastic ones and contain potentially toxic forever chemicals. Oh, jeez. Sandra, would you like to elaborate on OGs? I cannot stand, I cannot stand the paper straws. Um, They were shoved on us, and I think it's a prime example of legislation before thought. Um, So now we're all going to get cancer from them? Is that what they're telling us? (laughs) After we had to like, is that what the forever half our smoothie because they disintegrated? Yep. (laughs) You know, we always end up shooting ourselves in the foot. You know, like with climate change, (gasps) we have to get an electric car. Okay, but to get an electric car, you know, there's all kinds of problems with them burning and you know and starting on fire. And then if we get rid of the battery, there's an environmental hazard. And then we have to support China, and they're going to build more coal-fired plants to make the uh, lithium and everything else for and the also battery. And child labor in Africa digging the cobalt out for the yeah, battery. Yeah, that's right. But hey, it's a good idea. Climate change, just like this, we don't think it through. Not an issue for me. You know my rule: men should never, and I mean ever, drink oh from God. a straw. What, what do you do about a smoothie? Men should never, and I mean never, drink a smoothie. Dang it. There's really nothing if you're like at a sporting event and you get a. I think he's He's on to something. It's like, is it? Yeah, it's not a masculine. It's not a masculine look. But the smoothie, I feel like, deserves an asterisk. Oh my gosh. 
You look at I her guess exemption. Not. I am. Exemption granted. Thank you. Ah, and now right. Jesse's going to go out Can we also, changes. now that we're on the exemptions, I want to bring back foam cups. Styrofoam cups are the greatest thing. Oh, yeah. bravo. Why? Bravo. Have you ever had like, a, a cup or a beer so out of a styrofoam cup? Yeah. I don't drink Your beer. Your enjoyment experience will be multiplied. <laughs> yes. God, I doubt different. it can make me like Until beer. Until they tell us how many beers okay. we can have in a day. Okay. On the issue of paper straws, I will say that there's nothing more annoying than getting a giant glass of liquid at a restaurant and having them give you a paper straw, which you know very well will begin the disintegration process well before your glass of water or whatever other beverage you have chosen is empty. As a disabled man, I have no choice often, especially with these big glasses, but to use a straw. Even though one of the panel members on this video so ardently spoke out against men using straws, I need to use a straw, and I am nonetheless a man. So, practically speaking, paper straws don't work that well. I am not a bit surprised to see that there might be some environmental hazard to the paper straw. But greater than that is just the thing that Judge Peraro points out in this piece, the fact that we often don't think through things before we make changes. Starbucks said that they didn't want to give people straws for their coffee, so they made coffee lids that did not require Straws. Yes, yeah, studies have shown that the amount of extra plastic that went into making these new lids is about the same, if not more, than the amount of plastic that went into the conventional lid and the straw. And then I thought it was interesting that they brought up the electric cars because the environmental impact to manufacture each individual car is so great that it would be hard to make that up through the use of the electric car and not simply burning gas. The reality is it's not practical. If a battery goes out on one of those cars, it can be upwards of $10,000 to replace instead of two or 300 like a conventional car battery. As I've said before on my podcast and to various people, I don't even think they've made a handicapped accessible electric vehicle. I know they have a hybrid, which is partially electric and partially gas, but I don't think they've ever made a fully electric handicapped vehicle. I think about the wear and tear on a battery from plugging in a phone in the car and using the battery to charge the phone and run the car. I think about mileage restraints. I think about the fact that there's hardly any charging stations in comparison to the number of electric cars that they want to sell. And I just don't see this as a practical or even environmentally friendly solution. You heard them talking about the lithium batteries and what to do with a battery after it's no good and all those environmental impacts that were clearly not studied closely when making this decision. So I'm not at all surprised that there are now issues with paper straws. Should we be 
environmentally responsible with the trash that we have? Should we throw it away in a reputable place so that it doesn't end up in a patch in the ocean? Absolutely. But to eliminate it and to come up with something paper because it's so much better, I don't think that it is so much better. And I don't think that it is always the wise thing to go with the environmental choice because there are always ramifications. I'll close the discussion about alternatives with this. I think about this in regards to the Impossible Whopper. When the Impossible Whopper came out, which is a plant-based meat substitute for the Whopper at Burger King, my brother Bartholomew and I decided to give it a try. We bought one regular Whopper and one Impossible Whopper. We split them in half and each had half of each. We thought that the Impossible Whopper tasted pretty good. It obviously wasn't meat, but it was way better than the meatless meat I remember eating as a kid on occasion. So they've come a long way. But the reality is, looking at the nutrition information, there was no nutritional benefit to eating the Impossible Whopper. So the only reason to have the Impossible Whopper is to appeal to people who do not want to eat animals for environmental reasons and because they want the animals to live. Again, I believe that as a believer, we have dominion over the earth and we have every right to eat the animals that are on the earth. I respect you if you choose not to eat an animal, but I don't think that from a health perspective that meatless meat has proven at least thus far to be the healthier option. So I think sometimes we do things and we think that it looks like it will be better for us, but in the long run, if we actually think about the ramifications, it's not. And so I definitely think the paper straws are one of those instances. As a disabled man, again, I'm thankful for my straws, but I need a straw that does not disintegrate on me while I am drinking my beverage. The final story that I want to talk to you about is actually a local story here in West Michigan. This is the week for the Miss Wheelchair America pageant. The Ms. Wheelchair America competition returns to Grand Rapids this week, highlighting women from across the country and representing millions of Americans who live with disabilities. Director Shelley Luce joins us tonight on The Conversation. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited about next week. Yeah, I bet. So it is a week-long competition, and it's here in Grand Rapids. Tell me how many women are taking part. There will be 18 state title holders competing for the title. Okay. How many years has this been, this competition? It's been 52. This was the 52nd anniversary. Wow, that's exciting. Why is it so important to showcase these talented women? It helps them find their voice and realize that people will listen. So that's just, you know, so important for them. And then there are the title holders that are from little towns who they're the only wheelchair person they know. So when they they get around all these other really strong women, they're like, oh, hey, I could do that or I could do that. or So 
you know, it, it's it's great for them. I know when I went, it was just undescribable. It's just an undescribable week because you go and you're going to be the winner. You're going, you're going to win, you're going to take it home. And Monday night, after orientation, you're like, ooh, I liked her and she was pretty cool. And then after fun day, you're just one big group and everybody, it's really not about winning the title anymore. You start to root for anybody. That sounds incredible. So you mentioned a couple of things. It's a week-long process. Tell me about those things. I think you mentioned fun day and orientation. What kinds of things will be happening this week? Okay. On Monday night, we have orientation. Tuesday, is going. we're going to Meyer Gardens. And very excited about that. And then on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, the title holders will go through their judging process and while each title holder is in judging, we will be holding workshops on different advocacy things and different uh, topics that will help the ladies continue their advocacy. Okay. What kinds of things are they judged on? We are looking for a spokeswoman for people with disabilities. We want someone that can talk for the others that don't talk. Well, I know you've got a busy week, an exciting week coming on. Certainly appreciate you taking time to talk to us tonight, Shelly. Thank you. Thank you. So just to share a little bit of my background with Miss Wheelchair America, I had the privilege of running across a story in the paper several years ago about the Miss Wheelchair Michigan of that year. I believe it was... 2014, if I'm not mistaken, uh, but it was several years ago. You can actually find my interview with this young lady, Kelsey Kyloma, uh, as episode 101 of the podcast. So several years ago, and I contacted her, not knowing what to expect, wondering whether she would actually talk to me or what, but she did, and she talked about her Christian testimony and she talked about how much it meant to her to be named Miss Wheelchair Michigan and then to be able to compete at the Miss Wheelchair uh, America pageant. And for whatever reason, they choose Grand Rapids as their national pageant place, as the site for the national uh, Miss Wheelchair America tournament and that is kind of a really cool thing and I think a couple years after my interview with Kelsey I had the privilege of going to the Miss Wheelchair America pageant and providing entertainment through a murder mystery that Master Arts did there and it was really neat to actually see up close the contestants for Miss Wheelchair America and see how they were advocating for people with disabilities through this wonderful organization. And so I would encourage you, if you have an opportunity, to uh, get to downtown Grand Rapids and and check out this tournament for yourself, that you would do so. I think it's a wonderful thing. I think it's a wonderful opportunity for people to find out more about people with disabilities. 
Uh, my experience has been that people are scared of what they don't know. So the more that we can do to educate people with disabilities about people with disabilities, the more common bonds we can find and the more stereotypes we can break down. And so I think that Miss Wheelchair America uh, does a wonderful job of that and just want to encourage you that that is available and out there. The psalmist said it this way, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and that my soul knows right well. And whether you are born perfectly 100% physically healthy or whether God saw fit to allow you to have a disability, you are still fearfully and wonderfully made. And I love that this tournament allows people to understand different aspects of disability and see that these women are extremely wonderful in their own right. Well, I hope that you've been encouraged as you've listened to today's show. Again, if you have any thoughts on the news stories that I have talked about or want to suggest news stories for a future episode, please contact me with the contact information that's about to roll at the end of the show. Until next time, this is Andrew Gamison for Culture Watch saying, have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gamison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 